Joanna, do you ever wish you could definitively prove that you had the right opinions about movies? Uh, yeah, Neil, because I do have the right opinions about movies and television. Right, Dave? No, because I'm more right about those things, and I demand trial by content. Oh boy, what is trial by content? Each week, we'll take on a huge question. Each of us will bring a choice, and combined with listener submissions and your votes, we will come to a decision. It's trial by content every Tuesday on Spotify, TheRinger.com, or wherever you're listening right now. Don't let Neil win. Don't let Dave win. This episode is presented by Walmart Plus. Walmart Plus is the membership that helps you save on things you expect, plus the things you don't, like free delivery from your store with no markups, gas savings, and even a free Paramount Plus subscription. Start your free 30-day trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus essential plan only. Separate registration required. $35 order minimum. See walmart.com slash plus for details. Nathan, we've got to start using Apple Cash. Uh, okay. Why? It's so easy and convenient. Apple Cash lives in messages where you and I text all the time. We do. All right. So I can pay you in the convos we're already having, like I do when I bribe you to say nice things about my favorite Taylor Swift songs. You'll never forget a payment or have the money just sitting somewhere collecting dust. You do owe me money from the last time we saw those Taylor and Travis picks, so that is nice. (laughs) And once I've done that, you can use that cash right away. You can buy stuff at a store with Apple Pay. So I don't have to do all the bank transfer stuff then? Nope. It's just right there. It's easy, convenient, and secure. Wait, did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? See how easy that was? Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Hello and welcome to every single album, One Direction. I'm Nora Princiati. I'm here as always with Nathan Hubbard. Nathan, how are you doing? I'm great. Do you know why? I'm glad to hear it. Why? We're going to talk about Taylor Swift on this podcast. <laughs> We're sick. We are sick. We're go- Okay, fine. We can talk about Taylor Swift. We are also going to talk about Take Me Home, which is One Direction's second album. And it was released on November 9th, 2012, which was just nine days before the one-year anniversary of their debut album, Up All Night. And this is going to be a recurring theme, which is just the breakneck pace at which they were putting stuff out at this point. And we talked about it a little bit on the debut album episode, but it's really sort of kicking into that high gear here. And I'm curious, Nathan, if there is anything that you can come up with to compare the rate at which they were working to just in terms of another band, another artist. I mean... The thing that comes to mind for me is Taylor in quarantine. However, it just doesn't really work because definitionally she was not touring the globe while coming up with Folklore and Evermore. Right. She was not playing 123 shows between February and November, which is just an insane pace. I mean, they were playing a show every other day in that year. Now, in 2012, leading up to it, they hadn't played quite as many shows. But the, even that tour in 2012 was you know, 50 plus shows. They played the 1 800 Ask Gary Amphitheater in Tampa. <laughs> <laughs> Which was like one of the biggest venues that they that they played on the whole tour. 
I don't know what happens if you what you need to ask Gary about, but that, those were some slim days. Anyway, I'm scared to ask what is one eight hundred ask. I don't know. I don't was know. Is that like Ask Jeeves? Is that like the Florida version of Ask Jeeves? I don't know. We got to ask Gary what the hell is going on there. But I'm I mean, look, it. this band is working really at an unprecedented rate, right? You said like this this album debuts at number one in the U.S. They are only the second group. Well, they're, they're the latest group to have their first two albums start at number one after Danity Kane. <laughs> Incredible. What happened to that group? My God. But that gives you a sense like they, the pace at which they're producing content is truly insane because the first album did not come out in November of 2011 in the U.S., it came out in March of 2012. So here we are, basically eight months later, and we've got an entirely new album that's out, and the hysteria around this band is just building, building, building. We really haven't seen anything like it before. And while that seems terrific if you're a fan because you're being fed this content, behind the scenes what we know is that you've got a bunch of young guys who have not been home yet and who are caught up in this whirlwind machine. And it is a machine because there are so many people, Nora, who worked on this album. They basically divided up into teams of people, SWAT teams working on these songs, and then they had to chase the boys down through 2012 to whatever hotel room they were in and get them to record. And this album, to a certain extent, feels like something that got cranked out as quickly as possible and was in service of building up the brand around these boys. Everything is three minutes to three and a half minutes. These soaring chorus ideas, right? No less than five songwriters per song. How did this album feel to you in the moment versus today as we look back on it as part of the catalog? So it's funny. In the moment, the song that I really clung to on this album when it came out was She's Not Afraid. Uh, Great song. shocked me when I went back and was like, that was a bonus track? Yeah. Which I think speaks to the fact that, okay, I was a freshman in college in the US, right? So that is a different customer to be sinking her teeth into, you know, the 14th track that you would hear only if you had a, a bonus version or were listening right. online or then we talked about in the debut album where a lot of the concerns were, okay, can we dabble in some stuff that might break them in the U S but really have to stay true to the bread and butter of being appealing to mostly a European audience because that's safer. And we're more confident in that this, as you said, and you can see it in, you know, the number of tour dates, the places they're playing, playing O2 arena. They play Madison square garden on the tour that supports this album. They played for the Queen of England. 
this is an album where all of that branding and all of that sort of production and support of the machine is for a machine that is global, that is massive. We got a Pepsi commercial. Come on, kid. I'm Drew Brees. And I'm Harry. Who? From One Direction. Platinum album. Dudes, won the Super Bowl. On the cover. MVP. Oh, yeah? (laughs) We got our moment perfume coming out. Hey, guys. So today I'm going to be doing a review on the our moment One Direction perfume. Yes, I have it. I purchased it. I mean, we're just cranking out the, the, the corporatization. And for some reason... Do you think anybody's going to have our moment? Oh, for sure. You can still get it online. Don't forget, right. well, it's one have, of four perfumes. There's well, that moment. I still have moment. a few vials of, of Wonderstruck um, oh, God. clinking around in my room somewhere. So maybe, have maybe smell this is off. the start of a collection. Uh, by the way, 1-800-ASK-GARY is a lawyer and medical accident helpline. <laughs> well, hopefully they called it after the snowmobile accident, but we'll get to that. Okay. But I think that's a good place. Uh, just the conversation we were just having is a good sort of way to frame our discussion of this album. Because again, the floor and the ceiling are just so much higher when it comes to this second record than it was with yeah. Up All Night. They know and they have it, don't they? They're just cranking it into gear. They know they have it. and in How some, much blood can we get from the stone? Right. And in some places, I'm going to argue that the fact that they knew they had it was kind of limiting because there are places where it feels like they just said, okay, we have it, so let's do it again. Right. And you have to kind of dig and look for the places where they actually start to push themselves. Interesting. Okay. So I think that's sort of a good context setter for us. And we can get to our categories. Would you agree with me that Live While We're Young is the biggest hit on this album? Yeah. Hey girl, I'm waiting on you. I'm waiting on you. Come on and let me sneak you out. It is. I mean... I say that like with chagrin because it, it has, I mean, this thing rips off. Should I stay or should I go by the clash? Darling, you got to let me know. Should I stay or should I go? It's hard for me across a number of the songs on this album to not see and hear the roots that were pulled up probably quickly and integrated into the Max Martin factory of good melodies to deliver for these boys as quickly as possible. So this was, yes, it was the biggest song. The fact that you got into She's Not Afraid tells me that there was a lot of uh, dissemination of, of things further down this album outside of the singles. It did not do as well as a single as the singles from the first album did. And in fact, Kiss You was released and Little Things were released. I'm in love with you and all these little things. The Kiss You video did terrific, 
But these songs as singles didn't quite reach the heights of some of the songs from the last album. But I think it is Live While We're Young. Let me just say this. Are you bothered by all of the double entendre sexual innuendo lyrically across this album? I mean, like, I I listen to this song, I'm like, hey, settle down, boys. Aren't you supposed to have to say that though? Like, is, isn't this sort of like a necessary stage in the life cycle of a boy right. boy band made up of of young adolescent men, uh, fair men, point? Yes. Youths. Yeah, but look, the kiss you video. They are still budding, aren't they? They're not. Yes, no, their they're shirts bit, off. They're not know. totally fully developed, you know, dudes yet. Uh, but I, I, this song, I mean, again, you got. Kotecha, you got uh, Falk, you got Yakub, like who are the threesome who are going to do a ton of the production and writing across this album. They're going to be sort of the common thread with with a bunch of others. It, this one feels like a continuation. Those are the guys that Kotecha in particular was their vocal coach on the X Factor. Those guys all come out of the Max Martin school. Yes, and I want to just establish that because. This is the album where, I mean, I remember we talked about this with Taylor working with Nathan Chapman, that at, at a certain point, the initial collaborator group kind of gets stale mm. and you just have to outgrow the first life cycle. Yeah. I think there's some of that happening on this album where those guys are still like the shepherds of a lot of this and know them the best and have such a pedigree. All of those Swedish and they got a process. Right. And they have an idea. And so far, it's worked really well. And I think there are a lot of places on this this album where, uh, to borrow a phrase I know you like to use a lot, they're getting to the edge of the forest in terms of how far that can take them. Yeah. They get to a place where you can feel the guys themselves are pulling them musically into a different place. I mean, the, the most of the extra stuff that wasn't on the original version of the album feels like these three guys throwing the boys a bone and working with them on songwriting. And we talked about this in the last episode, but one of the reasons why everybody says Max Martin is a master craftsman is he was able to teach the craft and had this long you know, family tree of people underneath him who were also able to turn around and teach this craft. And coming into this, these five boys were not songwriters. They barely picked up and could play an instrument. It's really only Niall who understood that, how to play guitar at all. But they taught them. And the back part of this album feels a little bit like the outros of their songwriting process. And if nothing else, these guys end up being very important booster rockets that carried the precious payload into space before sort of burning out and falling falling back. Okay, so you and I might actually be setting up for a little bit of an argument. Great. Later. But but I hear you. And I think that makes a lot of sense. And they were definitely sort of the the people who'd known them the longest and had the established relationships. And also, as you said, had that process and also had some, you know, big time people to to call in. And now part of that is that 
a lot of songwriters and producers really, really wanted to work on this record based on the fact that the first one had been so successful. Yeah. But our guy Shellback shows up. Yes, in the he does. Of this album. Dr. Luke shows up in the credits of this album. Mm. And those are guys who still come out of that tree, but actually were more of the heavy hitters than some of the guys who, you know, I don't know that Shellback was necessarily going to be working on the X Factor before right. doing this. And that's that's how they got hooked up with Sabin. Yeah. So they get the bigger fish from the Max Martin Pond on this, as well as a bunch of other people. But uh, since we're talking about Live While We're Young, I do think it's, I think it's a great song. I think it's really fun. I love listening to it. But I do think it's it's emblematic a little bit of both the fun of this album, but also its limitations where, tell me exactly how this is all that different from a lead single, like What Makes You, what beautiful, makes you beautiful, except for the fact that I would argue it, it lacks a little bit of charm and wit. Tonight, and let's get some. <laughs> and mean, live while we're young. I on, suppose man. it's fitting. Really, it, it fits their age range. And there's going to be a, 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 a musician whose name rhymes with Ted Schmieren, who I don't think always fully understands that. Um, so there's something to be said for that. Yeah. But... It is the biggest song. I mean, as much as I remember really latching on to She's Not Afraid. And I think I really liked I Would initially, too. Really? Oh, my God. I still love that song. I Would? Would he say he's in the lobby? Well, if it was me, then I would. I would. What is wrong with you? It's so fun. What? What's with all the spelling on this album? <laughs> That's what bothers me about I would. L O V E. Okay, well, so, and you can't and argue that way. R O C K. Like, what? why are they spelling it out? You can't argue this with, or I can't argue this with I would because it's not, um, that has other producers. The other thing about some of the sort of innuendo that pops up in some of these songs, particularly in Live While We're, We're Young and some of the stuff that they did with the Swedes. Those guys do have a little bit of a track record of putting lines in songs that don't totally make sense. So I do think that you have to take it with a grain of salt. It's melody first for a reason. Always. That's right. I mean, but Sabin helped write If You Seek Amy for Britney Spears. So maybe well, that's where all the spelling came from. <laughs> I don't just know. like to spell. It's it's kind of cheeky. I think it fits them. I'm not I'm not upset by the spelling at all. All right, but I would. What was it? The 27 tattoos thing. I mean, the boys yeah, start it's trying. Really funny. They start trying to to, to keep up with 27 tattoos. They're still not fully tatted out. It's just Zane and, and Harry in the in the video. They, they really in, in the kiss you video. They haven't really started to fully turn their their chests into canvases. Yeah, although within a year, probably collectively, they were getting close. Right. Not individually though. Right. Um 
I, I do. I can make a more fully throated argument for that song later on, but I do really like that song. Okay. Well then, since you've shared with me some of what is not your favorite, <laughs> would you like to tell me what the best song on this album is, Nathan? I would, and I can't. This is the hardest time I've had through our entire time podcasting together, making the call on what I really think is the best song in the album, because I actually think a lot of the stuff on here, excluding the bonus track stuff, which absolutely we can rock it into the sun, but that it's all like, it's all good. You know, there's nothing that like, I also don't think there's anything that's great. For me, it's something between come on, come on, Which it, she's not afraid, and then they don't know about us. Every kiss gets a little sweeter. It's getting better, keeps getting better all the time, girl. It's those three songs, and I'm really having a hard time picking between the three. Where did you come down? I will pick for you. It is They Don't Know About Us. Okay. I, okay. I think it is far and away the best song on this album. It is also my favorite song on this album. It, it, it also sounds like Dick in a Box. It's my dick in a box. It's my dick in a box. Oh my God. It does. Okay. And look, the Louie part in the bridge is tough and kind of weak. And then Zane kills it coming out of the bridge. And I get uncomfortable with the difference between those vocal performances. But I mean, I'm telling you, this is the Saturday Night Live sketch. I think I might quit this podcast right now. I love this song. This song is so special to me. You've ruined it. You've completely I, ruined it. I still love the song. It's a great sketch. Oh, man. It's They Don't oh, Know About Us. This is tough. This is tough. I, okay. I'm going to try to carry on. First of all, I think the fact that they are able to return to using, at least in some cases, some sparser instrumentation on this album is yeah. really, really promising and ends up being very, very valuable. Because that first album, and a lot of the second, but that whole first album, for the most part, you are getting wall of sound wall after of uninterrupted wall of sound. Synths and then power guitar to totally. cover up the fact that everything else is synths. Yeah. Totally. And a little twinkly piano, twinkly. something that's really, really sweet, but a little bit more restrained ends up being important because, and we talked about this with, with the Ed Sheeran's um, stuff from the first album, the fact that they could make small sounding things really, really big is a skill that this band has that I don't think anybody knew they had when the first album was being created. And maybe maybe at this point, too, right? Because it's not as though this was a single. Right. And... Should have been. 
the fact that they start to be able to do that more and more often, I think ends up being really, really important and carries through to some of what will be my favorite songs in future albums. But they're able to do that on the verses when it's a little bit less supported by just like thick walls of sound. And then something about the mix on the chorus to me where they're all singing and they're all harmonizing, yeah. it really, really gets it right. Yeah. The other thing is this is a song that feels age appropriate to me. And that's not like a, you know, pearl clutching statement, but you want to believe it, right? Like you want to believe it when anybody's singing anything, when anybody's putting whatever they're putting in front of you, in front of you. And the idea of being young and in love and feeling like, why don't people understand that this is the most meaningful thing I've ever felt? And I'm not just a kid. And you're never going to get it, mom. Right. Is a really authentic feeling. And I buy it from them. And I think that's important too. Yeah. It also is a nice little sort of thing for the fan base too. Like they don't know about us, right? People who didn't understand the phenomenon. Totally. I I do want to say, give a few shout outs though. Like uh, Summer Love is a really good song. hundred percent. And they all get a writing credit on it. The chorus sounds like Don Henley singing the boys of summer to me. It sounds like very Eagles and it, it, that's got to be the inspiration. Especially with some of the Harry and Zane totally. stuff here, but it, but at least it's crafted in a little bit of a break from the cookie cutter stuff on the rest of the album. It, it's, it's, it, it is a totally different, song from I Want, but it had the same effect for me, which was, oh, this is something different than what by song 13 has become a homogenous set of songs that have a lot of the same melodies and you could convince me are all the same song if I squint, you know. Totally. And there's good writing on that song. There's lyrics that I like and remember on that song. It's also another one where I, I totally buy the story and it feels like something that was building to them spreading their wings a little bit more as, as songwriters. I mean, just to return to Come On, Come On, I mean, there's a lot of 80s rock. We talked about Don Henley slash Eagle stuff. Come On, Come On, the chorus sounds like Love Bites by Def Leppard to me. It's the start of, not the start, it is the continuation of, look, I love it. I love that these guys found this niche, but their songwriters were pulling from a lot of back catalog for me, right? Rock Me, which is a great song. But it's totally, definitely a ripoff of We Will Rock You by Queen. Buddy, you're a boy, make a big noise, playing in the street, gonna be a big man someday. And this is the problem with copyright law, like rock music generally being out of ideas. Like maybe we can't prove it, but, you know, as they said, come on, come on. Like it, it, Dr. Luke is in on this production 
this feels like it was lifted. I love the song, but to your point, like sometimes they say some weird shit, like heavy metal, show me you care. Like what? <laughs> Heavy metal music is not about caring for other people. Like what? I don't know. They 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 well, they're they're not the highly crafted lyricists that we might have reviewed in some other seasons. Well, I mean, nor do I think they particularly care to be. Yeah, frankly, like they're incredibly open about the fact that they come up with a catchy melody first. They come up with a hook first. If anything, they look for sort of like a groove and a beat second. And then, I don't know, let's make alphabet soup and throw in some syllables that work. And it seems like no mistake, given that those were the guys who had the longest track records with them, that it takes until later in the album where it does seem like some of the stuff where there was allowed to be a little bit more craftsmanship and just a greater emphasis on other elements of creating a song that gets to come through a little bit. Uh, to your point about the copyright thing, Live While We're Young literally has like one note different than right. The Clash. Yeah. Which one has to imagine that was a let's not get sued decision, which... It's, yeah. It happens, but yeah. yes, there are it's, some pretty it's sprinkled close. throughout the rest. Like on Kiss You, there's a lot of the life as a highway, Tom Cochran, and then later Rascal Flats stuff in the guitar. Heart Attack has pretty heavy-duty Miley Cyrus Party in the USA vibes for me. And Never mind that Niall singing the owls throughout the entire song is so awesome. He's like popping up like a little leprechaun singing the owls through that whole song, but it's great. But, and then there are a few other places where, where you feel like I, uh, I feel like I've heard this before back for you. It's Kelly Clarkson since you've been gone. But the start is head over heels by the Go-Go's, that little guitar thing. (laughs) Loved you first, I get Raise Your Glass by Pink. Oh, interesting. Yeah. 
Yeah. So there you go. I mean, it, it's it's sort of all over this album where, and you understand the creative process was, holy shit, this thing is huge. We have got to take advantage of it while they're still young, uh, pardon the pun, and pull as much out of this fan base and this band as we possibly can. Therefore, we need an album. Therefore, everybody bring your ideas. And in a crunch period of time like that, it's just impossible not to think that people are going to pull from past experiences, things they've overlooked at, right? Like nobody compares. I mean, they use You're Tearing Up My Heart. Like, we've heard that on a boy band before. And if you're going to steal the Sinead O'Connor Prince idea of the chorus, you better kill it. And, you know, they don't really, right? Truly, Madly, Deeply is Hey There, Delilah. Should I put coffee and granola on a train bed And wake you up with all the words that I still haven't said Hey there Delilah, what's it like in New York City? I'm a thousand miles away, but girl, tonight you look so pretty And they stole the Savage Garden song title It's like, get the fuck out of here, we're not fooled Magic is like recycled Live while we're young. It's got every little thing she does is magic. Like, how does Sting feel sitting here? <laughs> like everything. I don't know. There, there. You can see then this animosity that starts to build up, which we'll talk about because they actually have some spats with some other bands who who kind of take some shots at them, in, including like some legit indie rock artists who look at their stuff and start to say this is sort of processed and we've heard it before and nobody's getting the credit. Speaking of which. There's some Ed Sheeran on this album, and it sounds like you have thoughts about it. Aye, aye, aye. Well, shall we talk about collaborators? Because I feel like that's going to be a big piece of this. Okay. And we can Fire. talk about Ed in that respect. I'll say as precursor, I am very clear that They Don't Know About Us is, is my best song in this album. Okay. The B tier of songs that I love is okay. I Would, Heart Attack, She's Not Afraid, okay. Come On, Come On. Yeah. Summer love. I do. I, I would put live while we're young up there. It just, it just has good energy. Um, and I love irresistible. What? It makes your lips so kissable and your kiss I love irresistible. No. Yes. It's like a weird game of rock, paper, scissors. Do eyes beat lips? Lips beat fingers? Fingers beat eyes? Like what? I totally adore that song. I I feel like they, I feel like that song is a bridge that they needed to get to Story of My Life, which is like one of my top five One Direction songs. The story of my life, I take her Okay. It got stuck sort of at the end of the of the expanded thing. It it does feel like so it's a bridge for you. It's sort of their rough draft that they tore up and left on the floor as they were getting in that direction. I I can yes, live with but that. I th- I think the melodies are really pretty. I think it's subtle and I think the call and answer at the end is 
really, really compelling. It really gets me in my feels. Interesting. So give us collaborator because I'm holding off on the Ed Sheeran questions for you. I need to know. Okay. Okay. Well, so we've talked about Sabin and and the Swedes, right? So let's let's group the Swedes. Yeah. Um, and they are responsible for in varying combinations, live while we're young, kiss you, last first kiss, heart attack, change my mind. Back for you. Mm. And that's kind of nobody compares still the one. Then, because there was so they brought in the, you know, the shellbacks and the heavy hitters from that group, but there was also just, as I said earlier, a lot of competition to get on this record. And two of the people who ended up succeeding in that were a pair of guys named Julian Bonetta and John Ryan. Two American guys who had done some work with the U.S. version of the X Factor and pitched Come On, Come On Mm. to be on this album and on the strength of that song got to come over and do a little work and craft a few more songs for the band. In the Sweden song camp. Melody camp. In Melody camp. They got to go to Melody camp. And they also ended up doing I Would, They Don't Know About Us, She's Not Afraid, and Loved You First, either as writers, producers, or both. And that is a pretty close list to what I just said were a lot of my favorite songs on this album. And I think I don't want to discredit the Melody Camp band leaders for (laughs) their work here because (laughs) they were the ones who knew the guys and still guided a lot of the biggest stuff here. But I think that some of the fresh ears and those two, Julian Bonetta and John Ryan in particular, seem to have understood where they could go that was a little bit different from where they'd been before. I think those songs have more going on Dynamically, they're a little bit less attached to those just like huge walls of sound all the time. I want to talk about Come On, Come On because I think it's a great song. And they they had the piano on They Don't Know About Us. People say we shouldn't be together. And they do end up being two of the main collaborators with the guys going forward. One, because they did really good work. Also because they were a little bit younger and earlier on in their careers and they could actually go on the road with the band. And they could just like camp out and go hotel to hotel and city to city and grab 30 minutes in a hotel room with mattresses pushed up against the walls to influence the sound and, and make it okay to record in some random hotel room when guys like Savan had families and weren't able to do that. So they didn't collaborate on the bulk of this record, but I would argue that they are the most important collaborators because I think on the whole, they did the best work. And I also think that they found a way to like start pushing it forward a little bit on an album where I would say it's greatest weakness is that it just doesn't 
it often doesn't advance on the previous album really at all. Well, I agree with you on the last point. I had the the Swedish melody, Swedish melody mafia. Uh, <laughs> although Savin is Savin is not Swedish, but he studied under the Swedes. Carl right. Falk and Rami Akub. I had them just because I just think I think churning out two albums like this in a year with a band constantly on the road is damn near impossible. And somebody has to sort of herd the 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 cats on that. And under the pressure of an album that really, as you described in the last episode, was not originally made for the U.S. to then have to follow it up under the, you know, burning hot light of the internet and a fan base that was uh, similarly on fire is not an easy easy task at all. So I, I gave it to them as their most important collaborator, but it sounds like you did not give it to Ed Sheeran. No, absolutely not. So Ed Sheeran wrote Little Things and Over Again. Little Things being the song of the two that was, you know, it's it's at the top of the record. It comes right after Kiss You in that third spot, which is sort of like, okay, we think this is a big song. Yeah. I cannot stand it. Why? First of all, if I'm saying that I don't have all that much of an issue with the um, slightly provocative lyrics in Live While We're Young, the entire construction of a song around the idea of, oh, all these things that you hate about yourself are actually why I love you is so barfy to me. Never loved your stomach or your thighs. The dimples in your back at the bottom of your spine, but I'll love them endlessly. <laughs> I, I really cannot get over it. It actually makes me physically ill. Yeah, I mean, we're tiptoeing around some body image issues in front of a lot of young girls on this song. It's and, so weird. And it it's just, also, right, it's like half of them like really don't even probably know that like, dimples on your back are supposed to be a thing that you're worried about. Second of all, it would be cringy if a 50-year-old saying this, but like, well, they're way really too young cringy. for the... It doesn't make any sense. It is so weird. Ah. All right. But my thing about all these Ed Sheeran songs is that they sound like Ed Sheeran songs. Correct. It's impossible to divorce it from the writer. Ed loves to jam all these words and cadences like that is great it's ed but like this is only acceptable i guess in that this started as a cover band and so maybe it feels better that they're that they're playing effectively a cover song on this i don't know i mean that look when they go on the road they're playing some some cover songs they played one way or another they played teenage dirtbag Maybe this passes as them covering some Ed Sheeran songs who, you know, was a huge star in the moment. I like Over Again. I don't mind Over Again. I, I don't know that I love it. The chorus, is, the chorus is good. I mean, again, Louis at the end of the second verse. Yikes, it's not great. I can make your tears fall down like the showers that are pretty. Whether we're together or apart, we can both remove the masks and admit we regret it from the start. But the outro, 
is like a musical. Like the song is it like the the progression is like B G D A, and then at, right at the end of the song, at like the two thirty mark or something, they do this drop down that feels a lot like something you do at the end of a Broadway song, where they then drop to G A B and then down to the F sharp. And I love that outro. It's awesome. They sing the if you're pretending from the start stuff over it. So I, yeah. I I enjoyed the way that that song was crafted. It feels a little bit different and a departure from the you know plastic pop stuff that we got ar- across the rest of the album. I just can't get out of hey this is an Ed Sheeran song. Now I'm saying that after I've just gone through a bunch of the other songs and said, well, this sounds like a Don Henley song. Well, this sounds like a Katy Perry's or you know or this is a Kelly Clarkson song and this is a Queen song. This is a Clash. And the truth is. They are those songs that they're being pulled from. So to a certain extent, I don't mind that they're just effectively covering song here. But I the Ed stuff, I'm ready for the Ed stuff to stop. It's kind of how you feel about the Taylor and Ed collaboration. I am not the world's biggest Ed Sheeran fan. I just should probably, except in certain instances where I love some of his songs. I, I don't know. But yes, I don't know that. I think Ed Sheeran must be really nice and really fun to hang out with and a smart guy and a cool guy to collaborate with. All those things are true. Because it seems like a lot of people really want to do it. I just don't think that what he does, because it's so specific, I don't think it always transfers over as well as it seems like it might. I think you're right. Um, But I think people like to work. in this moment. Yes, he's at the peak of his powers in this moment. And I think he's a fellow countryman and they're looking at him. And he is a fellow countryman, which means he has no excuse for being Swedish for hole in the middle of my heart like a polo. Hole in the middle of my heart like a polo. (laughs) What what are we doing? (laughs) Red shearing. You know, one thing we're shearing. Yeah, we're shearing. I mean, I think a thing of note about all of these songs that gets lost. Like, if we contextualize them in terms of what's happening in the music business, right? This is the slow start of the digital streaming age. And while these singles come out and they're not, these songs come out and they're not number one hits, they're not selling physically more than anything. Although we should add that the DVD that they put out in 2012 sold more copies in its first week than uh, John Mayer's album did which is pretty eye-popping and an, just another great poop on John Mayer moment. <laughs> Their DVD outsold what was it's the number one scene. album uh, in John Mayer. Yeah, tough scene, tough scene. But, but, but I think uh, the reason that you heard They Don't Know About Us is because all of this stuff was streaming. And so yep. it, it was much more easy to discover. And I mean, that's why... You know, Live While We're Young wasn't a number one single, but it was a number one digital song. And this is a fan base that's inherently embedded in the internet. They streamed this album for a week before it came out on iTunes. So they really were testing the limits on the digital side. And it, and it had the effect of broader discovery of these songs in ways that for the Backstreet Boys and these other sort of what we would argue were vessels for other people's feelings in the form of a boy band or or a female, uh, you know, girl band, we really only remembered 
those singles that were pushed hard at radio. Because of the technology moment that we're in, there's pretty broad discovery of the catalog here. Right, right. No, that's it made it really easy to get to those deep cuts, which is good because I think there's really some more than worthwhile stuff there. And it helps being able to access that if you're feeling like, okay, I hear this first single and it's fun and it's peppy and I'm happy to listen to it. But what are, what are these guys offering that they haven't already offered before? Right. Some of that, by the way, was intentional. Like Sovin's spoken pretty openly about having the idea that you do the first two albums kind of is the same thing. You're kind of trying to offer people yeah. what they're used to. And then you switch for the third one. I do think that particularly, maybe it has something to do with how quickly they came back to back. There's just something about, okay, we're doing a lot of one thing here, which is why I feel like they have a short period of time. Right. To the end of the forest. But it's not as though that was totally accidental. A lot of that was entirely intentional. Yeah. And by the way, those are rules. Those are rules for when we are making a band and, and crafting it and shaping the clay, you know, as opposed to, hey, this is an artist who's developing naturally, right? I mean, what's interesting here, this band as the precursor to BTS is is a pretty interesting case study for me. And I know we'll talk more about this as we get through it. But in a lot of ways, BTS is sort of treated as an employee, a, a bunch of employees right now, and thought of that way as sort of the larger hype, you know, hype machine here, it's somewhere in between, isn't it? I mean, the boys are being worked like they're employees. They probably don't know any better. They have all the enthusiasm and energy. They all come from modest upbringings where their parents, I think, were just happy to have suddenly... I mean, this tour made, you know, $120 million plus. That's a shitload of money. 18 months after they left the house to go audition for some TV show and Harry walks out of the bakery, right? Right. Well, I mean, you see, like in the in that um, in the movie, Liam's mom buys the cardboard cutout Liam at one of their tour dates, and it's right. sort of a joke, but it's a little bit like I'm going to bring my son home, except that it's a cardboard cutout of him in a green polo with shaggy hair. I always believed that Liam would make it, but never this big, never in my wildest dreams would I think he'd be this big. It goes away for so long. Sorry. And it's just going to sit there until, you know, however many months later, he's actually able to get a day off and and take a breath. So it's pretty intense. Yeah, there's something sad about the underlying assumption with which it appears most of these business decisions were made is that this is not going to last. It's almost like there was a predetermination that it couldn't go on forever, so we have to go as fast and do as much as possible. And they might have been right about that, okay? But there is a little bit of tragedy underneath it because you know that in the grand scheme of time and history of music, this is going to be a fairly episodic, short, ephemeral, fleeting moment. But also an incredibly prolific one. And and I don't put this on the songwriters and producers necessarily so much because first of all, the patterns and the established conventions that they were following had worked in a lot of cases and in a lot of ways worked in in this case. But 
in a strange way, I feel like they were underestimated on this record because they're probably not, to the extent that some of these guys become fully formed as songwriters, they're probably not there yet. But I think you can hear them trying. You can Mm. sort of hear them taking the steps later on. And I don't know that that was really the goal. It it just seems like sometimes there's this idea where it's like, oh, we're going to churn out another one of the last one. And why would we even try to do something else? That's why I sort of highlight the the partnership with Julian Bonetta and John Ryan, because it seems like there was a freshness there and just an understanding that it could go to a different place. But I I may be being too generous, but we'll find out. Can I rant for a sec? Uh, Yes, please, Nora. You know I love when you do. Pay apps are way too public. Uh Uh-oh. What happened? Okay, so some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history who I'm paying. Full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it is super weird. Well, how are you going to pay your friends then? I'm asking for a friend. Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text. And it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Shh. Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Look, there was some staleness on this album, especially in the bonus tracks, I would say. So what would we have cut? Well, I would cut little things. I won't let these little things slip out of my mouth. Holy shit. I would cut it and blast it into the sun. Really? You, surely you see the functionality of that song. It makes me ill. Oh. That's how it functions. Do you think you're, like, what percentage of the fan base do you think would agree with you on this? Probably a small percentage, but. That is a hot take. Also, by the way, just so that we can have, like, a little bit of a nice moment between the two of us before we we fight to the death about this song, um, I want to go on record. I should have kissed you slaps. That is such a good song. You were so right. Thank you very much. So, 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 so right. I went back with fresh ears and it just like really blew my mind. So I appreciate hats you off to you, Nathan Hubbard. Now Listen, I reiterate little things is terrible. I'm not going to, I'm not going to like argue for little things in, in the line that makes me the sickest comes from little things. And we'll talk about that in a second, but I just think it, it serves a purpose. And the only other options for that, like, let's slow it way down, baby girl, you know, slow it way down ballad shit. It is basically the Ed Sheeran songs, and those didn't work because they're Ed Sheeran songs. So 
I, I would have taken, I truly would take Irresistible in that place on the album. If it makes 12 you feel times better, out of 12. Okay, well, you're crazy. But if it makes you feel better, by the time they get to stadiums, they drop little things from the set list because they have some other things that, that can work as ballads, including uh, one that you alluded to earlier. Well, and well, because they didn't want people to have to clean up the throw up. Yeah, fine. Would you keep all these bonus tracks, Nobody Compares, Truly Madly Deeply, Magic? I guess you'd keep Irresistible. I would have shot all that shit into the sun. I don't really need still the one. I was so stupid for letting you go. But I, I, I know you're still the one. Although I, I, I have a theory because some of the guys, including Harry, get writing credits still on this. And Harry just here. like absolutely loves Shania Twain. Yeah. Is she the one Well, I that, think that, that might seems have something to, a, to do with it. I do too. I mean, Harry, Liam, and Louis get a writing credit on Still the One, but I still think, I think nobody compares Still the One, Truly Madly Deeply, Magic, Irresistible. Get out. Get off my mountain. I can part with, I can part with Magic. I you want to swap Irresistible and Little Things and you would cut some of these. Yeah, like, and I, I, I could definitely part with magic and that's totally fine. I do think Louie and Niall have some very pretty harmonies on the bridge of Truly Madly Deeply. Might not mean that much to you, but to me it's everything. It's Hey There, Delilah. That's okay. That's a nice song. I'm not fooled by this. I'm not going to let you fool me into it. We know Louie likes that song. All right. I mean, I... Honestly, I could I could part with back for you. But only because only because of my again Kelly Clarkson. Kelly Clarkson. <laughs> no, Kelly Clarkson. I, I'm I'm into it. I think it's nice that it's kind of a fan tribute. I also think. Zane has the big like for you at the end of the bridge. That's nice. Yeah, I am coming back. Everybody but Zane gets a writing credit here, though. True. There's True. a little bit of there's a little bit of space emerging. All right. Well, this is a moment where we really need to get into a very important thing from this era. And that's under the headline of peak Harry. But I guess I want to hear what your peak Harry is. So my peak Harry is the bridge in Come On, Come On. Which I just adore. Yeah, totally. I mean, I like his vocal in the pre-chorus of Change My Mind. He gets a lot of finishing lines. He's really sort of yep. rapidly becoming the closer. Let me kiss you. He's, well, he's the closer and he also gets to, he gets all the lines that are like, yeah. that have kiss. Yes. Or, yeah. All of the like, stare you down girl. Not like fair. Live while we're young. At the end of over again, he's the voice. But like, he is becoming the closer of the group. And I can't believe that your P. Carey moment is not that he 
began dating Taylor Swift in late 2012 when True. this album comes out. By the looks of it, Harry Styles is the next guy Taylor Swift could potentially pen a new song about. The One Direction member and the country gal were spotted together at NYC Central Park Zoo Sunday afternoon. And that they break up in early 2013. He's 18 years old. She's 23. Supposedly the temper trap song lyrics that are wrong, wrongly tattooed on his arm. She actually gets the originals or assigned version of them that she didn't give to him because they broke up so quickly. They get in a giant snowmobile accident that is the subject of one of my favorite songs across the entire Taylor Swift canon, which is Out of the Woods. Mm-hmm. What else? How is this not P. Carry for you? Well, I was, I was, I was going to bring it up. Don't worry. I wasn't going to let this go undiscussed. This is the era that brought us sad boat girl, Taylor, leaving <laughs> the vacation where they broke up in the Virgin Islands. Just, I, I hate that she's ever had to feel sad at any point in her life, but it, it's an iconic image and we can all just, just acknowledge that. Um, they went skiing with Selena Gomez and Justin Bieber. Um, oh, man. Yeah, they went on a couple's trip to Park City. I think Taylor skied without a helmet, too, which is something that I really don't condone. But the Haler glory days were, was, you know, they lived life on the edge. They did. They lived while they were young. I Look, my thing on this is, I, I really think Taylor got a lot of shit for this, right? This relationship. A, because he was a little bit younger. I mean, whatever. Well, and and Harry was actually in an odd way. Harry, Harry got a lot women. of shit for dating older women too. Harry likes older women. Let's be clear. This is not the last older woman that he's going to date. By the way, she's not That's old. That's true. She's twenty three. I mean, he's going to date a lot of older women. But uh, you know, to each their I think own. That, I I think that discourse was in moments a little cringy when he was like really young. Although, yeah. To be fair, yes, it has borne itself out as something that. Seems not to have been manufactured. Although right. maybe some of some of the alleged relationships were not real. But anyway. I, I, I just would say this relationship became a lightning rod for the Taylor recycles through dudes in short periods of time. Can't keep a relationship down. And in fact, you know, every now and then I have a little birdie about some of these things. <laughs> and, and, and in fact... In fact, there are multiple little birdies who would say it was Harry who was not in a position to be in a relationship, which at this moment in time, as an 18-year-old, when he's a global superstar and he hasn't been home since, you know, he was in the bakery and now he's like, of course, of course he's not available. (laughs) Like, that was a bad life decision to date this 18-year-old kid in that moment. But uh, I think in hindsight, it was Harry who was maybe moving very rapidly through relationships at this time and and unable or unwilling to be in one sustainably. And in fact, if you track the Taylor Swift relationships after this one, she does seem to uh, have a rethink and get into more longer-term relationships, finally ending in the one that she's in now. But for me, this is Pete Carey because, you know, there's nothing really bigger than dating a rock star in terms of elevating your own profile. And, and it's, it's quite a hairy moment. Right. I, I think, look, there's a messy nexus of uh, 
celebrity and real relationships. But the fact of the matter is this was the most famous person that a member of One Direction had been publicly associated with. And that has an effect. A very famous date at the Central Park Zoo cannot go uncommented on. Right. In the fall clothing. We just don't know enough about this snowmobile accident, do we? There are some angel ER staff out there who kept it quiet. And it's like the only time in the history of the world that a famous person has gone to a hospital and it hasn't immediately been plastered across the front page of TMZ, right? Yeah, totally. Somebody did them right. pretty remarkable. Yeah, it it was incredible at the time. And someday we'll get a better story around that for those who are ridiculously curious. But there is a wonderful arc from this moment. Fast forward to the Grammys in 2021, when they're seen as tail after Taylor wins the, the Grammy for folklore, Harry's there for fine line. And there was a, what appeared to be a very friendly conversation between them happening that certainly put to rest any sense that while this relationship ended and there were feelings on both sides, uh, the animosity did not carry over roughly nine years later. I don't quite know what to make of this, but it has not gone unnoticed for me that both Harry Styles and soon Taylor Swift have songs called Carolina. She's got a family in Carolina. So far away, but she says I remind her of home. Hmm. Just just food for thought. Just just curious. Okay. Just something that I'm keeping my eye on. Watch this space, as they say. Okay. Well, she's going to be a category throughout uh, throughout this journey. We're not there yet, though, because we have not even discussed Peak Louie. Now. Okay. Talk to me. So, I agree with you that there are still some shaky points for Louie on this record. However, it is the one, I believe, where he starts to kind of find find his voice. He gets to start to change my mind, which is the first time that he's gotten to start a song. The end of the night we should say goodbye and then he has after liam gets to do the little like go tomo go in the background he gets to sing one of the greatest lines on this entire album which is which i is? can't compete with your boyfriend yeah. he's got 27 tattoos yeah okay there we go He has it's zero tattoos at the moment, I think. Well, that's why he can't. Yeah. I, I, What's he going to do about it? I still struggle with some of the lyrical things. My peak, Louis, is that he just cannot hold his tongue ever, but especially on Twitter. And in this case, he gets into it with the guys from The Wanted. And in this case, R.I.P. Tom, who passed away sadly recently. But he goes after Tom on Twitter but it started because Louie got caught making fun of Jake Bug for going to The Wanted. We get nip-slip references from the girlfriends. We get our first reference to Larry. We get Zane calling Max George chlamydia boy. There's all kinds of things happening on Twitter with Louie. Yeah, well, and, and the the thing with The Wanted and uh, with Tom Parker's passing, which is obviously incredibly sad, 
did they end up having the career that that One Direction had? No, but they were initially kind of the the positioned rival, and that was because they had some really good songs, and and they didn't end up having the depth of the catalog. But I listened to "Glad You Came" over and over again at at one point. Away from us, so stay, stay with me. I can make make you glad you came. And you don't end up in a Twitter feud if there's nothing to feud about, right? And so I guess we can just take that as sort of evidence of a boy band life well-lived. I do think that (laughs) some of Zane's particular choices of phrase here were rose to the level of high comedy. Louis just cannot hold his tongue. Louis is definitely, uh, um, you know, the pen over the sword type because as he goes on to really be uncomfortable with a lot of the Larry Stylins and rumors is not even the right word, but fan fiction, that whole fan fiction little corner of the internet. Um, he tells you how he feels. He does. (laughs) He does not tend to be afraid to, uh, to, to throw a tweet out there. And I, I respect that. Yeah. Sometimes I think more harm than good, but I still I respect it as a yeah. as a behavioral we'll, choice. We'll we'll revisit the Larry stuff later on, but for now, um, peak Liam for you is what I you really taught me in the last episode. You changed my my perspective on Liam. I need to understand in this moment in this album what's peak Liam. Well, so my peak Liam here is much more trivial, although I do still believe that he's a real grounding force for them. But Liam just had excellent concert hijinks. Okay. Uh, most notably, when they went on tour, playing at O2 Arena, he pulled Harry's pants down on stage. Uh, yes. Yes. It's astonishing that Harry's undergarments stayed up. It, and that's a real danger. Like, yeah. I, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, which is why I think that was an incredibly lucky moment. I, okay, yeah. I was going to ask you, you sure that one wasn't wasn't planned? Because, I mean, look, these guys really like to be in their underwear. Niall sings in his underwear. Harry yeah, th- gets There's pantsed. a lot of stories from this era where Niall moons people. Niall he, seems to really enjoy. Well, and he, he records in his, in his boxers. Speaking of boxers, my peak Liam is that he live tweeted a girl breaking into his balcony in Australia and stealing his boxers. I mean, what? what? Nothing says more about how that platform, uh, not that platform, but all of these digital social media platforms are screwing us up. It's like, dude, Liam, you need to run. There is a crazy Australian trying to break into your hotel room right now and he's under the covers, live tweeting it as she runs off with his red boxers. Yeah, so he tweets, um, strangest way I've ever been woken up when you're in bed butt naked and someone is trying to force open your balcony. This is going to be strange. Then he tweets, so happy I woke up because that shit would have been so unfair. Then, hmm, somebody stole my boxers. I'm so embarrassed. Then... So how this happened, I went in the sea in those and the hotel staff put them outside to dry. Someone climbed on and stole them just to set the scenes. I um, went in the sea. 
by land in the, the sea. sea. He started with classic Nabokov. Um, but then the final one, he hashtags break into someone's house and steal their underwear day. Right. I'm off to Scarlett Johansson's house. Perfect. Incredible. And who knows what he really is. He's an enigma, this guy. Uh, yeah, he's, he, he's a, I mean, a funny of, one. Yeah, speaking, speaking of enjoying the being in, the, I mean, he sleeps with no clothes on. He does a lot just in his boxers. That is Nile. We see him repeatedly recording his best vocal takes in his boxers. Uh, it's interesting that he doesn't have any concerns showing off his knees because my peak Nile is this guy really fucks up his knee. Uh, and it's a problem. He's a jock and a soccer fan, but he had to have knee surgery later on. But there's a moment in Toronto where Liam tackles him and definitely hurt him. The, the Liam stage hijinks took Niall down. And in some way, it's a problem. In others, like a lot of times it keeps him out of that dreaded boy band pyramid where they all get on top of each other on stage and make a pyramid. <laughs> A lot of times he's out of it because his knees can't hold it. He's like my 75-year-old father. <laughs> he's like, oh, I'd like to come over, but my my knees hurt. I'd, I'd love to get in the pyramid with you boys, but my knee, my trick knee's locked up. Anyway, this is going to be a problem. But like, I, I don't know. It's, he's a little leprechaun with bad knees at well, 19 years there's, old. There's actually kind of a lot of knee injuries yeah. with these guys. They're it's like sort the of Chiefs funny offensive and like they're line. all... <laughs> Right, like it's it's a little bit charming because they're just the silly, boisterous bunch that can't stop like running all over each other. There's a moment where uh, Liam changes the lyrics and change my mind to as I walk towards the door, my knee hurts me even more because during a concert, Louis is like sitting on a staircase because he can't move because his knee is hurt. And it's all very silly. At least that's how it sort of outwardly comes across. And they're really funny how they change lyrics to stuff too. Like Niall does the baby if you say you want me to drive to KFC or a couple other locations. Um, or Louis would change the line and over again, I can make your tears fall down like the showers that are British to different countries. I think the other one was in Little Things, you can't go to bed without your cup of tea. Sometimes he would say Susan Boyle's tea or without raisins in your sheets. So they what is that moved mean? around with that stuff like all the time. The only thing is, and look, teenage boys hurt themselves doing God knows what all the time. There is this little kernel of like, Wear and yeah, tear. they were performing all the time and they it's weren't like the sleeping Eilish enough. Doc. And like, yeah, it's a little scary. Yeah. And it, particularly when you sort of know that when they got hurt, they just had to go perform the next day. Like, yeah, there wasn't a lot of, oh, we'll take a step back and, and let this happen. And again, it's it's hard to see a guy that age feeling like, oh, shoot, you know, I, ha I have to go sit in bed because my knee hurts. I'm sure in some of those instances, they at least didn't feel like they wanted to do that. But when you're sort of taking a bird's eye view, it's like, 
should an adult maybe have stepped in here? There were no, there were their parents were at home, like getting checks, I think. I don't know. Right. What's your peak Nile? My peak Nile is the owls. Yeah. In heart attack. Yeah, heart attack. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. And I'm like, never thought it hurt so bad. Getting over you. You're giving me a heart attack. It's a great moment for him. He it's really the most prominent he's been featured in a song to date. So good for him. And it has so much personality. And I think that's really important. Okay. Uh, Let's get on to Peak Zane. Zane's getting engaged already. Yes. What do we think of this? He's got, I mean, in in the... in the Kiss You video, there's some shots where he's now got like, he's got the skunk stripe going in the hair. He's really, he's really starting to do some Zane things. Yeah. Okay. And it's already like, I think there's a, um, it might be Jimmy Kimmel. They're on, and it might've been a little bit later than right when this album came out, but he's talking about being engaged, but they're sort of playing who's most likely to do X, Y, Z. And one of the questions is who's most likely to disappear for a couple of days and have nobody hear from him. And everybody turns to Zane and right. it's just like, Oh, it's you. <laughs> uh, which of you is most likely to disappear for a couple of days without contacting the others? <laughs> right. So Perry Edwards is a singer songwriter. She's in the girl group, little mix. Right. So she was uh, she was in this relationship with Zane and you just sort of get the sense that in all these boys lives, like they suddenly hit fast forward. And like so many of these young stars, they have to grow up very, very quickly. And it feels like they grab on to whatever is around them. Now, this relationship does not last, does it? But no, and it doesn't feel like they when it speeds up, I don't know that you get a ton of the sense that there were people trying to slow it down to the extent that that was possible. And it never would have been totally possible. But we've had this conversation about Taylor Swift, right? Where can you do it? No, you can't actually make it happen. But in a lot of instances, there's real effort to let's try to manufacture normalcy as much as humanly possible. And you don't get the sense that that was happening very often. No. It it seemed like, you know, celebrity relationships, ones like, and this is impossible to know the truth of, but like, did Harry date Nicole Scherzinger? I don't know. Probably. But even just the possibility that that was a sort of manufactured tabloid storyline oh I, see. I think speaks to the information universe that they were living in and just yeah. kind of yeah the uh, fact every that time the guardrails t- were not up every time we talk about zane i, I start to get sad and, and you know big picture he's here and it's you know it's all okay but that there's that scene in this is us where he's bought his mother a house and again, it feels like in a lot of cases, these boys, you know, their their parents 
you know, they're almost the parents now in that they've had broader life experiences and, and their parents say as much in the doc. Yeah. They've had broader life experiences. There's very little that the parents feel like they can offer them. They're holding on to cardboard cutouts, almost like idol worshipery in its own way. And I say this not throwing stones at the parents because I think the parents did the best that they possibly could, of course, but you just can't avoid it. It's the problem with young people becoming gods in the eyes of millions of fans because you don't have much that's real around you. And so in this case, he's he's buying his mother a home. He doesn't really have parents who can help him anymore. He has this relationship with Perry. They, It's something that feels real. It's something that feels like he can hold on to. You can see how he just would hit the fast forward button and get engaged. Now the good news is you know, they didn't get married and 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 they separated in, in 2015 later on. But this is the start of, it feels like Zane holding on to something that to him feels consistent and sustainable and, and real. Yeah, and, and maybe just a little sort of lost or just out of a ton of options to live life in a way that's sort of normal and grounded. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Because even if like picture yourself as the parent of a kid in a situation like this, even if you knew what to say, which you sort of couldn't possibly, you're just not even there to say it 98 percent of the time. And I don't know. Sometimes I feel like we've had this conversation before. Sometimes it just seems like a miracle that anyone who's ever been in a situation like this gets out of it even moderately. okay. And yep. maybe that is to varying degrees true. Yep. But yeah, there's a lot of life that's happening in a pretty intense manner. Um, that said, the peak Zane is his face in the one way or another video just before David Cameron <laughs> comes out of 10 Downing Street when they're dancing. You have to see this thing to believe it. The video's made for comic relief. First of all, the video itself is ridiculous. They're like singing, I'm going to get you, get you, get you around a bunch of poor African kids in like rural areas of... It's really uh, weird. Of, of Africa. It was it's a really weird. weird choice. But his face when he's, you know, quasi dancing is just tremendous. Yeah. So that music video is strange. There was an idea behind it that was, I imagine, well-intentioned. Where yes. They were, instead of having a set and a fancy music video... They were going to give the money that they would have spent on those things to uh, a charity that I believe helped educate kids in Africa. Um, Red Nose Day. Yeah. Comic relief. Yes. So then. But then they went and made the music video there with a bunch of the kids. It and doesn't it was look a little right. odd. It doesn't look right. It's just a little weird. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Zane's face before they pull the the uh, prime minister of the United Kingdom out of his domicile is terrific. Did you have a peek? Yeah. I, I just have that. He owns the chorus. If she's not afraid, just like smashes it into the stratosphere. IMO. She's not afraid of all the attention. She's not afraid of running wild. Well, I agree with you. I think he smashes a lot of this album. I Agreed. think we can fast forward through are any of these songs about Taylor Swift because we know that they had not started dating by the time this album was in the bag, right? Uh, correct. 
Okay. But this this was where I was going to mention that things were percolating. Okay. Nothing important for March 25th. Tiger Woods yet. got back to number one in the world. <laughs> Very important. Got it, got it, got it. Who won uh, the album? So, well, I was going to ask you. I think it's Zane. I think I his voice stands out on this album. I think it was building on the last one. I do think Harry's being positioned to be Heartthrob Central. And what we know is that that may be as much as Harry being cooperative, more cooperative than Zane was around these things. But Zane's voice and all of these very, the extent to which there are special vocal moments on the album, he is really starting to soar. Yeah, so he starts Summer Love, Loved You First, Little Things, Come On, Come On, has the She's Not Afraid chorus, just crushes that I want to tell the world that you're mine, girl that we talked yes. about at the end of They Don't Know About Us. Yes. Um, also has all those gorgeous echoes on the last chorus of that song, which is another thing that I just absolutely love about it. I think on the first album, I still go to Liam just because I think he was, he was the one who was sort of ready. By the time we get to this one, Zane has some natural qualities to his voice that are the most impressive, I think, pretty clearly yeah. at this point. Yeah. And he just has a lot of the most sort of beautiful and and I love the sound of that moments on the record. Well, we're at the point where you tell me the swooniest lyric and I tell you the shittiest lyric. There's a lot okay. of swoony shit on here, but... It also could double as the shittiest shit. So what are we doing? I do. Well, I'll, I'll go on your side to begin with. Yes. I do think that Niall should have taken legal action for having to sing the words drool Making them down, drool their down, chinny down their chinny, chinny, chinny chins. chins. Yes. I just want to show you up to all of my friends. Making them drool down their chinny chin chin. They actually, in fairness, they at least had a conversation about this. And they Tell were a me. little self-conscious about it. They, they at least identified it could be an issue. And they decided to go with it. And I think it fucking sucks. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll tell you something that I think is spectacular, which is my favorite lyric from Summer Love. Feels like snow in September, but I always Ooh. will remember you were my summer love. Feels like snow. That feels like a Taylor Swift song. That's why you like it. I agree. Yeah. Taylor Swift writes great songs. Yeah. Great with analogy. Okay. Look, beautiful I, metaphor. I actually did not think um, drool down their chinny chin chins. Like I can get the sort of tongue and cheekness of that. And I think the way that Niall sells it in the video is actually redeeming of it. So I said it fucking sucks. I, I don't love it, but hey, at least they had a conversation. It was a choice. I think the shittiest lyric is, you never want to know how much you weigh. You still have to squeeze into your jeans, but you're perfect to me. Which Harry sings on Little Things. If you never want to know how much you weigh, you still have to squeeze into your jeans, but you're perfect to me. I can't believe that that was 
a thing that they decided to sing. I'm actually like, real. I'm like uncomfortable that it's even going to be on our podcast. It's you the worst still thing have in the to world. squeeze into your jeans. What? What are you saying? Like, that's not a loving thing to say. It's not a thing to say. It's also, this is really beside the point. Buy different pants. <laughs> <laughs> Harry can afford it at this point. Just, I don't know. It's that, that was a big miss. And I agree. It, I have a hard time just to wrap up your um, episode really devoted to shaming little things. I really have a hard time with the song. I have a hard time with the album in some ways because this was an important song that they put out there as like a strategy to be balladeers and crooners. And this thing stayed stayed on there. Oh, Lord. Great it. Great it, woman. Here we are. The end of a lovely journey. This okay. is an interesting album, isn't it? Because I think that the quality of hooks across this album is really strong. And frankly, it's stronger front to back in some ways. The hook in the choruses are stronger than the first album. Agreed. Agreed. There are more songs that clear a higher bar on this one than the last one. If you grade it with a slightly more critical eye, which I think is fair because one thing you want in a follow-up album is some growth, then I think it's fair to look at it and go, they were at the proverbial edge of the forest that we love to talk about. Yeah. Um, I think that evens out for me and it's a B. Wow. I, I have B plus in my mind because now that's an upgrade from you from the last album. Well, I ended up giving upgrade. the last one a B. Okay, so you did. So you went same. So we both went samesies for these first two albums. I just, again, I love I Should Have Kissed You so much on the last record that it's hard for me to like this one better. I like the hooks here better. I think I like the songs less overall because that's where <laughs> the entirety of of the front-to-back songwriting some of the lyrical choices, some of the recycled melodies, some of the lifting from songs from the 80s and 90s and 2000s that we've heard before, that all feels a little more manufactured to me, even though I understand, I understand that Up All Night was written in haste after these boys exploded. They were out touring, singing cover songs, and you know the band's management was like, we got to have real songs, let's pull it together. There is a bit of haste in the synthetic nature of these songs in this album. For me, it's still a B plus because I can hum eight of these songs in my head without, without thinking about it. Totally. And then what also matters to me is that I, they don't know about us is I think the first one direction song that for me is one of those songs where It's just a really important song to me. It's just a song that I really, really love and am fully confident that I'm going to really, really love forever for the rest of my life. I just adore that song. It's my D in a box. Oh my God, stop. You're ruining my life. (laughs) That's the way you do it. Regardless. (laughs) Regardless. 
I will still love it forever. It is very important to me in a way that's a little closer to my heart than I think anything on um, the first album, though not as much as some of what is to come. This has been every single album, One Direction. I'm Nora Princiati. He's Nathan Hubbard. We will be back next Monday with a look at One Direction's third album, Midnight Memories. As always, thank you to the spectacular Kaya McMullen for producing this episode. And thank you to you all for listening. We'll talk soon. Bye.